What is going on, everybody? We got a special edition Christmas episode, and I'm sitting here, as always, with Noah. We got special guest, Dennis Tyrell of Tyrell Knifeworks. How's it going, Dennis? Hey, guys. Great to be on. Good to talk to you guys. You too. So, we decided to do this because you got something special coming up and you wanted to talk about it. So, take the floor, man. Show's yours. <laughs> oh, we get right into it. Yeah. Um, well, I've got, I'm very excited about this build that's coming up. I'm, I am almost positive. You never know on YouTube, but I'm almost positive. Never, no one has ever done this before. So, um, you know, and I, I'm pretty well known for the copper layered knives and the different layered knives. And, uh, you know, and, and everybody asked me to do them. I'm, I'm actually kind of getting tired of them. Uh, so I've kind of pulled back away from them for a little while. But a lot of people have asked me, could you do it with silver or gold? And when we did the dagger challenge, um, when was that? A year ago now? Um, almost a year. I tried it with 10 karat gold. $2,000 worth of 10 karat gold, and it didn't work. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. I was not happy. And... To cap it off, I lost the footage, so I couldn't even release a video of a failure. Um, but luckily, I had a really, really nice Patreon supporter, a Patreon member, one who actually has one of my knives. He actually bought the first challenge knife, the uh, the Gyoto. And um, he said, if I front the money for the 24 karat gold, would you do it? Hell yeah, Will. <laughs> So there is uh, almost $5,600 worth of gold in this oh. knife. Oh, my God. So, yeah. so, so, Dennis, I've heard you talk about this before, but in case any of our other listeners haven't, so it failed with the 10 karat gold, and then now you're doing it with 24. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and, and the reasoning behind that? So I find this very counterintuitive, um, but 10 karat gold has a lower melting point than 24 karat gold. So, which is odd because you're adding elements like copper, most of the 10 karat gold, most of the element added to it is copper and copper has a high melting point, like 1950 degrees or thereabouts. So you, I, it's mystifying to me why the melting point comes down, but that's why it was such a challenge. The melting point of 10 karat gold is just over 1600 degrees. So that's pretty low for forging temperatures, right? Um, 24 karat gold is 1950. So it's much more um, margin for error. It's almost exactly the same process as copper. So I am, I am happy to say I'm beyond that point. Um, uh, I am in the finishing stages of this knife, so I know it worked. Uh, and I'll show you guys uh, in a little bit. And I'm very excited um, just to, to show people and get people revved up about this build. And I want to get it out for Christmas. So there's, you know, a golden Christmas build out there for people to watch during the holidays. Brilliant. So I love it. I'm pretty excited about that. So you've you've posted a like a, a test etch of this on your Instagram page that I saw. Um are you planning on releasing any other tidbits or anything before the, the final video comes out? 
Yeah, I'll probably post um, a couple, like maybe going into the etch or I don't know, something like that. I'm, uh, one thing I am uh, that I think is going to be fun for the video, um, you know, who works for with gold all that much? But when you're grinding it, like you're grinding the knife, you're seeing little like flakes of gold on your rest, like mm -hmm. in the yeah. water. <laughs> and the more and more you grind, you're getting like little puddles of tiny gold dust. Um, so I, before I started grinding, I, I had a brand new bucket just for this knife and I'm going to pan all the grindings after. And uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> I just, cause I think it's fun. Um, and I'm going to pan them all and put them in a little vial and I'm actually going to send that, um, to David, the guy that that's going to get the knife and, uh, with a little, hopefully a little vial of gold dust. So I think that'll be a fun thing for the video too. That I might release on um, um, on Instagram as well. I think you just answered some questions that some people were, were getting in their heads already, uh, myself included, about about that grinding process. So thanks, thanks for clearing yeah, that up was, right away. <laughs> I was going to ask you to send me your slug bucket. Right? <laughs> That's why I made sure to use a new one because there's probably yeah. six inches of crap in the bottom of mine. Um. But it, it's, it should be an interesting knife. There's, um, I decided to do a half feather pattern on each side with the gold and then an 80 CRV2 core, which will be, I think we're going to go dark. So it'll be black with gold and then the feather. So it should look pretty cool. The So to, to pull this off, do you, you have to seal the billets, correct? Yeah, it's, it's the same process of doing the copper Damascus, the Kumai. Um, just weld the ends. I started with a six inch piece and it, you'll you see in the video, like it, it doesn't look like that much gold. Like <laughs> it's like a one and a half inch by six inch piece. And I think they're like 17,000 thick. But when you lift them up, they're, they're over an each one is over an ounce. So there's over two ounces of gold in the knife. Well, in the billet, the knife has probably got two thirds of that. Wow. Um, so, and all that for just one little strip that you actually see, and you'll see it on the spine and stuff. But here's the, uh, this is only, um, sanded to, um, uh, to 400. And of course it's not etched yet, but I wow. think the pattern, like the, the movement in the gold came up really well. It moves much, obviously it's softer. It moves much more than copper. So you get some crazy, crazy patterns. Yeah, that is nuts. That's yeah. insane. And I went with the it, it, it's chef knife because that's that was the one the one criteria I had from David, the guy that supplied the gold, um, that he wanted a chef knife. So, but I had to put my own spin on it and put the uh, the false edge on the top, which will show off the gold a little more. So, where can you even order like bar stock of gold? Uh, <laughs> that's actually one of the, one of the tough parts. I had to. Um, at first it was Rio Grande, but you can't buy gold sheet from Rio Grande unless you have an account with them and opening up an account with them is like, you know, you, you need to be an accountant in order to open up an account with them. So I actually ended up going with Stuller, which is another jewelry supplier. And just, I could open up an account, put my business in there and tax ID and could order gold. Yeah. So, so, a, so a quick note for any of you that are listening to the audio version of this podcast, 
the reason that we are doing this is because we are going to be putting out the YouTube video like we always do, but not many of you watch. But this podcast is going to be coming out before Dennis's final reveal comes out. So this is your opportunity to see what he just held up to the camera and get a sneak peek of what this thing is going to look like. Sneaky peeky. This is so cool. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, get that video out there. And of course, you know, hopefully, I only get the video. So I'm not charging him to make the knife. He supplied the gold. So uh, I'd like the hoping uh, a lot of people find interest in the video. Oh, interesting. So, okay. So you're basically just doing it for the price of the gold, I see. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he already paid for the gold and uh, I'm making the knife. And it'll have some, you know, there's going to be some gold inlay in the, in the, uh, the bolster, um, which I've never done gold. I've done some inlay, but never gold. So that'll be interesting. And uh, it'll have one of the, it'll have a through tang with a pommel nut that'll be ground flush at the end. So there'll be a Damascus pommel nut on the heel. Nice. I was, so I was no pins. Just won't, about won't to ask pin. about the, the, the handle and how that was going to look. Um, do, yeah. you, do you have, oh, I didn't... I'm, I'm assuming you have the handle material picked out, correct? I've had the handle material picked out for almost a year because it was the same handle that was going to go on the gold dagger. Oh, and, um, and did we get to know what kind of handle material that is? Uh, it it is a, a piece, a piece of uh, burl from my favorite um, supplier Oleg from Knifewood Knife Wood dot com that I get all my wood from, uh, and he amazing, but it's like a dark gray, yellowish gold streaks in it, it'll match the knife perfectly. So uh, I've never heard of him. Who is that knife? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to check him out. I actually, um, some of his block, I just got a new shipment today. Some of his blocks, um, like honestly, the best, the best that uh, I think you can get. How's his pricing? Uh, this one I think is thirty. This, uh, oh, this one, thirty-five. That's not bad at all. Uh, these and these are big blocks. These are uh, yeah, no, yeah, those are good ones. One and a quarter by two by six, maybe. And does he do his own stabilizing? He does. Wow. Uh, he's in Russia, but they're, they're all shipped from the U.S., so he sends them all to the U.S. So, yeah, I mean. Excellent. I get all of my stuff from him. I mean, I'm, I'll be doing a special video on just the, the new order that I just got. So, uh, yeah, if you want top Mother quality Russia. stabilizer. Yeah. Uh, In Russia, wood well. stabilizes you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it sh- the handle should look really nice on that knife. I'm, I'm excited. So what do you guys got going on? I'm making dust. I'm grinding handles and handles and handles and handles and it seems to never end. But I I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I think I'm going to beat my deadline, which is like fucking amazing. You still got those those 50 knives? That's what you're working on? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm trying. My deadline was end of the year. It's 64 total because it's 50 for one order and then my 14 custom orders that came in. And my deadline was end of the year, and I think I'm going to be able to beat it by Christmas. So nice, beautiful. Uh, wow. Those 
those fourteen were they were they from the uh, Joe Rogan uh, bump? Those, yeah, you said you got a bunch of orders from that, right? Yeah, most of them. Awesome, from, uh, all but two. Very cool. Congrats yep. on that, by the way. Thanks, thanks. Uh, I've only ever done. I think the most I've ever done in a batch, I think, is six, and uh, it, it it drove me nuts. Like having to do the when I got to the obviously the hand sanding part, I was like, "This is stupid. I'm not doing this again." <laughs> this batch is 64 total, and up until this point, <laughs> I had only made about 90 knives ever. Wow! So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost doubling your number in one batch—that's pretty good. Yeah, I like I like a challenge. I, I've never counted how many knives I've made. I, it's probably in the I don't know in the 90, 80, 90 range, something like that. It's probably not that yeah. many. Yeah, I haven't made that many either, and I know a lot of makers like to number their knives, and it's way too late for me to do that. But um, I counted how many I sold in my first year of selling knives. And it was something like 50-ish. So I probably made between 100 and 150, I would imagine. But I I don't number them. I mean, I could probably, even at least in the last two years, I could probably go back and count because uh, they're all in videos, almost all of them. But I don't know. It's not that important to me to, to know the number. Well, that, yeah. well, that is I one nice thing to know. I mean, because you got those videos to kind of document it out. So that's... That's nice. You can look back on everything and see how far you've come and all that. Yeah, that's the even even just doing this knife and looking back at the you know the grinds and the 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 way the plunge the way the plunge goes on this is like on an angle and that would have been really difficult a year ago. But you know things improve, you you get better, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's cool. And it's like you. You got to look at it too. Like you're making high end art pieces. You know what I mean? You're making like top tier Kyle Royer level art pieces. So you're putting probably five to 10 normal knives worth of time into one knife. Well, maybe <laughs> depends, depends who, but um, yeah, right. I mean, right. It, yeah. I, I do spend a lot of time on them and yeah, I am. It's different. I'm not I, I don't want to do the production knives um, and I, I have no, you know, no issues with other people doing production knives at all. I just mean, that's not, that's not what I want to do. So I'm, yeah, I like to head towards the very customized knife. I actually spoke to Kyle um, at blade when I showed him the, the gold dagger and uh, he was actually pretty intrigued with it um, with the concept of trying gold. So uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to get this knife back for um for blade show because uh, i want to get some pro pictures and oh, maybe that'll be cool. submit it submit it for uh uh best uh chef knife at the show we'll see you guys gonna go this year or next year i guess i will be yep i'll be there good stuff i would love especially to. now that i have to claim it on like claim everything on taxes and it becomes a business expense that way i don't feel so bad about it have you been before, Noah? No, I never have. Um, I've never been to any of them. So uh, my my goal is to to try and make it this year. So we'll see if it happens. But I, I would definitely love to. Yeah, you should try really hard to make it. It is like the the mecca for knife makers. Uh, there's no there's no experience like it after you've been there. 
I've already spoken and to my wife about it. <laughs> yeah, speak to the boss and uh, get it, uh, get the funds outlined already. And and most people think it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna like, you don't go there counting on sales. You don't go there counting on like, like you're you'll, you're gonna spend a bunch of money there as a knife maker. Like most people that go, I think, are knife makers, not purchase, like not buyers. Um, but the connections you're going to make and the people you're going to meet, that's why you want to go. Yeah. I have no dreams of, of, uh, of increasing my, my visibility or anything like that, or, or trying to sell anything there. I would be going purely for the experience and to meet people face to face and, and just kind of see what there is there. I mean, I, I've, I've heard so much about it. I've seen so many videos and, and everything. So that would be pretty exciting for me to be able to do that. I was yeah, actually and- thinking about blade today. Cause like, um, traditionally the hustling grind has always done the blade show pre-show, mm-hmm. but this year we won't be because I'll be on a plane. So do it early or I could do it live from set up, set up in somebody's yeah. booth. That sounds like a technical be- nightmare. Yeah, it is. That is a technical <laughs> nightmare. I wouldn't even attempt it because, um, uh, Wi-Fi is terrible. Uh, everything, yeah, and it's too loud. Yeah, you, you'd never be able to do it. And there's a couple thousand people all sucking off the Wi-Fi at the same time. So, oh, it's it's almost pointless. You might as well turn it off and just use cellular because yeah, uh, it's really bad. But but it's it's fun. Show. I'm going to have a table again this year, um, only because I like to have a home base and. Uh, after walking around and I've done, and I'm going to the one in Texas and after walking around for a couple hours, my back is just killing me. So I need a home base, like a chair to sit down in every once in a while. And I like people coming to me instead of like walking around, um, uh, the show floor all the time. But, uh, I'm, I'll be bringing, uh, Jared will be coming with me, I'm sure. Uh, and, uh, he'll, will take turns at the table if my wife doesn't come oh that'll be nice that way you can get the chance to get up and walk around and not be leaving an empty table or anything like that yeah you don't want to be you don't want to go alone and be marooned at a table but um going with someone else and just kind of tag teaming it and uh that's kind of fun i told my wife she could come with me but she's like no i'll just ruin it for you she's like (laughs) we'll get we'll get there and we'll be there 15 minutes and i'll be ready to leave i'm like yeah that's probably true (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I told my well, wife that she was coming with me. I was like, if I go, she's going to come with me. We're going to make like a little mini vacation out of it or something. We'll get somebody to watch the kids. And yeah, like she gets kind of bored of knives, but I think she'll have a good time. We'll hang out. We'll we'll do some fun stuff while we're there. I, I think it'll be a good time. Yeah, I had to put. Go ahead, go ahead. Dennis. I was going to say, if she if she gets bored, you're in Atlanta. There's all kinds of stuff to do in Atlanta. She can take off during the day. Uh, she'll want to come back at night because the pit is all, I feel like all business and all like kind of relationship, like meeting people, it all happens at the pit. That's the, the bar at night. The, yeah. She, she really wasn't. I'm going to be the weird sober guy. <laughs> That's going to be strange. Uh <laughs> Uh, so she, she what really was not getting convinced. And I was like, well, if you go, you might be able to, uh, 
who's the uh, who's the judge on Forge and Fire? That's the younger British guy. Um, ben Abbott. Ben Abbott. I was like, well, if you go, you might be able to meet Ben Abbott. She goes, okay, I'm fine. I'll go. Is he <laughs> British? He he definitely has an accent. I don't I don't know if he's British, but I I, I guess I, I had, never noticed. I had drinks with him in the pit last year, and he was he was hammered. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> And it was near the end of the night, and I don't think he uh, he remembers the conversation at all. I think Jason Hartwell said that too. That Ben Abbott was shit faced, right? He, yeah. <laughs> he was wasted. Um, yeah, I'll be the one, probably the only sober guy. But mm, that's okay. I doubt that's it. Okay. And I know a few people pl- that don't drink. I'm I'm gonna try and get a hotel room in the hotel, so I don't have to go anywhere. But you won't. They're I booked. won't. No, they're booked. <laughs> they're already booked. Oh, Waverly's booked the month after Blade Show for that week. Holy shit! Yeah, there's absolutely oh, wow. no way you're going to get uh, a room in the Waverly. I'm on the wait list, and I'm an exhibitor. So, uh, oh yeah, they in the reserve a block of the reason is they reserve a block of rooms for exhibitors. Um, Blade Show does, and then they release those rooms, so they're they're pre booked really really early. Makes sense. Yeah. I could always just rent a car and sleep at my dad's house. There's there's a whole bunch of hotels that are walking distance from Blade Show. Like like a, a, a five minute walk, like not even across a parking lot kind of thing. There's two two or three hotels. No. Oh. That's cool. We'll hit we'll up work Mr. Out some logistics when we get closer to it. Yeah. Hit up Mr. Brian House. He's uh he got an Airbnb last year with a whole bunch of guys. So yeah, can, I heard can, that. Uh, shack up with him. <laughs> I was I was actually uh, talking to uh, Neil from Net- Maximus Knives on a live stream yesterday, actually, I think. And we were already talking about that sort of thing. So we'll see what develops over the next few months. What Neil, th- there's there's a couple of Instagram guys like Ryan and Neil. And uh, there's only a couple that are actually ever on camera with their face. So you run into people at the pit and of course I'm always on camera and people come up to me like they know me like, and I know them and I'm like, okay, you're going to have to tell me an Instagram handle or something because I have no idea who you are. This and seems I can't to be a common trend. Yeah. I've but, been uh, trying to increase that at the advice of Jason Knight. Yeah. He, he said, if you really want to go big, people need to see your face. Right. Look yeah. at, look at Brent Baldman. Everybody knows who he is because Absolutely. he's always on camera. That guy. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Yo. I love that dude. You can't not love him. I mean, you see his fa- yes. smiling face and you're like, that guy's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Dennis, do you have Speak- anything else you'd like to, uh, like to talk about? You said you wanted to, you know, create this, this wonderful holiday special. Was there, uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about while we're here? Um, yeah, a couple of things that I just started on, uh, on my, my channel. Like I've been doing, I don't know if you guys, how much you watch, but I've been doing this Damascus series, um, every week releasing different builds on different Damascus patterns, starting from like the most basic ladder pattern all the way through to, um, complicated mosaics. Uh, today's video was, uh, was a collaboration I did with another, um, another, Smith, uh, Rick Hall, and we did this, um, I should have brought it, um, we call it Ocean Sunset, and uh, there's a 3D printed sun 
and then the at the top of the billet and the bottom is like this it's like waves like if you're looking on the horizon it's like the sun cresting on the ocean anyway. well check out the video but um uh, i'm starting to release pattern guides on my website so if you want to make explosion pattern damascus if you want to make feather pattern damascus you could there's downloadable step-by-step instruction guides um, on how to make every one of those patterns. Like there's in a couple explosions up there, a couple different patterns, there's feather, and I'm going to put this ocean sunset pattern up there as well. So some cool stuff for people to take a look at. And all of those are free to my Patreon members. They already have all those, those guides. Um, so yeah. And I'm, Still offering uh, in-person classes for some of the more advanced Damascus patterns like Explosion. And I got a couple of guys coming um, in Jan and Feb uh, to take some courses on those. So lots of fun stuff happening. You're a badass, dude. You're such an inspiration to all of us little guys. I'm not even like kissing ass. It's it's so true. Whenever your name gets brought up, everybody's just like, Jesus, he's so good. That's it. It still feels surreal to me because I still feel like some guy screwing around in his garage, and I don't know that everything has happened so fast as far as like popularity on YouTube and all of that stuff. It's really surreal. Um, and I, I probably said this the last time on the show, but it, it feels really weird um, to be recognized and you walk around Blade Show and people want to take a picture with you, and it's like it's weird. But I, I had good, I, but. I had lunch with Lawrence Lake a little while ago, and uh, I almost took a picture of the two of us and posted it on Instagram and said I'm having late lunch with Dennis Tyrell right now. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 spent the whole weekend together at Maker Camp, uh, and Lawrence is such a cool dude. Um, he really is, and and like we had met already at at uh, Blade Show, but being at Maker Camp. Uh, which is a really fun event, and that's right, well, not right by you, but pretty close to you, Ryan. You should check that out. Where is uh, it? It's in upstate New York. Oh, okay. So it's, it's driving not, range. Yeah, yeah that's driving distance. But that is a great event because um, it, it's not like Blade where you're like elbow to elbow in an exhibition hall. This is like... It's like almost like you're camping and there's all these tents around you. Oh, you want to you want to do some blacksmith? You go to the blacksmith tent. You want to do some woodworking? You can go to the woodworking tent. Like it it was, I think it was eight o'clock at night, and uh, I I kind of look at Lawrence and said, "Hey, we should forge something." And he goes, "Yeah, let me go grab some steel." Of course, he brings a box of steel. Um, <laughs> so we all started, you know, hey, let's for we we were forging till like ten or eleven at night. Um, in the Broadback tent and you got grinders there. We had a coal ironworks, um, um, 25 ton press right there. We had a 350 pound anvil and we were, we had a great time. It was really fun. I'd so love it, to get my hands on one of those presses. Yeah. Um, so I'm six foot two. The only thing I don't like about that press is I'm always like bending down to see, um, I have my press set really high. Um, it's almost eye level. And I'm so yeah. used to that now. When I use one of those other presses, it drives me nuts because I'm always like bending over. Um, that was my only complaint, but it's because mine is set up differently. But it's a nice press for sure. 
especially the yeah. big one. It's so strange because I'm I'm fairly tall too, and I I have my press. So you know the the twelve ton presses with from Cole Ironworks. You can set them you know to where the oh, the the tabletop. Exactly, yeah. And I have it set out on a cart so you can roll it and move it and everything. But I have it set so that the uh, the the piston is going down because for some reason in my mind I couldn't get over the fact that it it had to go down if it was flip the other direction Mine goes up. <laughs> it would go up and it would be really easy for me to see what I was doing. It'd, it'd be at the perfect height, but my brain was blocked by this idea. I could not have it going the other direction. And so I have this, this hamper to, to my productivity that uh, is purely just because of my strange brain that I just can't get over for some reason. All I have to do is flip it over. I, I think a lot of people have that issue with, they think a press it's, it's got it. The uh, the cylinder has got to be on the top and pressed down. Um, I I have mine set up obviously the reverse. It presses up, but with that makes more press, sense. It doesn't matter. It makes more sense to do it that way. I'm just I'm yeah, just weird. And when I made my new forge, I put the the stand for my forge is almost five feet tall. The stand, so I can I'm almost looking directly in the forge, which is so nice. Oh yeah, not like this bending over looking in the forge. So I've optimized my shop for uh, someone who's six foot or taller. Yeah. <laughs> so when I go to teach classes, if someone comes who's uh, five foot tall, they're not even going to be able to see the billet in the forge, but oh, well. Get a step stool. Right. Exactly. Uh, speaking of Lawrence, why don't we throw in a little ad? Do it. Let's do it. Hustle & Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. Man, tell them we sent you, eh? I, I actually, should be offended by that Canadian comment in that. <laughs> Why would you be offended by that? Because he's Canadian, and he's in California. <laughs> we're not. We're not. We're not. You know, bad mouthing cobra chickens. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. You know, but let's face it; those wep- weapons grade pigeons are some pretty, uh, pretty dangerous little suckers. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we used to joke and say Canada geese were our gift to the U.S. <laughs> I know several people who have been attacked by them. Oh, they're vicious and uh, they shit everywhere. It's ridiculous. Yep. They do. They're yeah. mean. They, they'll, they're they tough, too. They'll fuck you up. It's no uh, joke. You wouldn't <laughs> think so by looking at them, but they really do. Yeah. Uh, speaking of sponsors, so... Uh, the 419 forging episode Jared had, or uh, Jeremy had mentioned Pika pencils mm. and they reached out to him and were like, Hey, we heard that episode, which I thought was like crazy cool. And they're like, thank you for bringing us up. They do not want to sponsor us, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately they don't want to sponsor us, but I wouldn't mind landing another sponsor. That would be nice. But, so if anyone yeah. listening would like to sponsor the the Hustle and Grind podcast, reach out to Ryan and let us know. Yeah. But yeah. back back to our, our other sponsor there, Maritime. I actually just put in an order with uh, Lawrence uh, just this morning. And nice. 
I didn't know, and I don't know how I didn't know this, but when you are ordering steel from Lawrence, you can, and it even has it in the description when you order steel, I just can't read. Um, <laughs> cut the length. <laughs> it, it can be cut to whatever length you want. So if you're ordering 1095 or 1084 and 15 and 20, he will cut it in four inch sections for you so that you don't have to do it yourself. And that is a huge time saver. It is a saver on your bandsaw blades or your cutoff discs, whatever you're using to cut it up. And that is something that he offers. And he, as far as I know, he doesn't charge for that. So please take advantage of that and save yourself some time. Like you guys are spending enough time in the shop already as it is. I mean, whenever I have to go out of the shop, that's, I mean, that's time away from my family. So I try and use that time as efficiently as possible. So if I can order steel already cut up, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that Instagram post he did with like all the steel laid out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was my order. Was it really? <laughs> that was a hundred, a hundred feet of steel. Oh um, my gosh. Cut to uh cut to length. Uh, if I had to do that myself, I would have been there for days, days. And That's uh, many, many bandsaw blades. So uh, yeah, I was really happy to get that order. It was like uh, Christmas day. And, and just to push it one more time, and I sound like I'm kissing his ass, but he's also a sponsor of mine. So um, <laughs> the, uh, um, I got that order. So he fulfilled that order. Um, well, it was our Thanksgiving. I got it Tuesday. So he did it Thursday, and I got it on Tuesday. In, in California. California. Wow. Wow. He's right above me, and I'm as far from California as you can get. Yeah, he I think he said he's like a four hour drive from me. It's not yeah. very far, maybe a little longer. But speaking of Lawrence with this big bolt batch that I got um, it, I'm, I'm a skeptical person. So anytime somebody says something's a reoccurring thing, I doubt them until it happens. Um, but this bulk batch is supposed to be a reoccurring thing. Um, and if it is, Lawrence is going to help me source all the handle material, get the blanks water jet cut for me and to save me time and steps. Because this first batch, I had to order three sixteenths black G10 sheets from like four different places to get enough. Yeah, he could probably help you out with a bulk order of that stuff. Yeah, I cleaned out maker material supply. I cleaned out Jantz. I cleaned out um, who's that other one? Uh, usanifemaker.com or knifekits.com. I yeah. cleaned out a bunch of people, got some sheets on Amazon. I was getting it from everywhere. You have to hit up B Cone and get some of that uh, carbon fiber. Yeah, unfortunately for Brian, they were very specific on what they wanted them to be. Oh, I see. And they want them all the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. They wanted them the same as the ones that they were getting previously. So I see. Yeah. Was that your design or did they give you a design? No. They had another knife maker who they were working with for a while, and their words, not mine, he flaked on them. Um, uh, so then they saw the Joe Rogan post and reached out to me. Nice. I didn't know you got that one from the Joe Rogan. Uh, that the was Rogan the, bump is real. That is the most productive Instagram post ever. Uh, and it, it was the one I put the least amount of effort into. I was so exhausted. That's why I had slippers on. I had been in the shop like 18 hours that day. 
And so my feet hurt. So I went in the house at like 1 a.m. and put slippers on and I came back out and I'm like eh, a zombie and I shaved my leg with it. And that was part of the allure, the uh, the fuzzy slippers. <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. thought I'd say this, but I think I needed to get a Joe Rogan tattoo. <laughs> you know how many people have given me a hard time about that tattoo? Oh, Every I'm sure you heard all kinds of shit about oh it. Oh my god, I've been called gay so many times. You have another man's face tattooed. I have two men's face, three men's face tattooed on me. I've got Bruce Campbell from Army of Darkness on my back. I have a massive Johnny Cash portrait on my thigh, like it's huge. It was a 12 hour tattoo, noon to midnight, and then the Joe Rogan on my shin. And I'm probably gonna have an Elon Musk soon, maybe a Nikolai Tesla in there, something. <laughs> You just want to collect lots of men's images on your. Uh... <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, totally, totally. I, I hate, I hate to play favorites, and I, and I know that you know obviously the Joe Rogan one has been the most productive for you, but the Johnny Cash tattoo is probably my favorite. I'm a big fan. of It's a badass that. tattoo. It's a, it really is. It is. I am too. My wife hates it. <laughs> she hates it. Which well, one does she like the most? Does she like the Joe Rogan one? She doesn't like the Johnny Cash one because he's on my thigh, so he's staring her right in the face. She's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's so weird. I'm like, oh, sorry. I didn't think that through. <laughs> I have stuck, all kinds of... My brothers now. are tattoo artists, so if they want if they want to try something on real skin, they need like techniques and stuff that they might not be good at yet. They, I have an ability to sit is what they call it through a tattoo where you're not like jerking and jumping and ah, 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 I'll just sit there. And so naturally I'm their brother also. So it works out. Brother, AKA Guinea pig. Exactly. <laughs> who, and, who has the ability this. to sit? Yeah. There's a couple of our other friends who like, like if they want to try something on a back, cause not all skin is created equal. My back hates being tattooed. It hates it. Like, if you don't have a lot of tattoos and you, most people don't know that like your skin after a certain point in time will start to push the ink out. So like if my brother will do a day session, he'll say, I'll go $600 as long as you can go or your skin quits. And if your skin quits, he can do a pass and drive it right in there and your skin will just because it, it's like a defense mechanism. My back, I could get 45 minutes and then it's starting to reject the ink. Um, but yeah, oh. I'm their guinea pig. We have a couple other buddies too, like who, if their back is good at getting tattooed, they're not so pasty, you know. Then oh, I, I have a shark. I have a shark on my side, kind of down here or whatever, and the tail kind of goes up my side. And when they were doing the tail, I thought I was going to pass out. It hurt so much. Up, up the the side here. I'm a like the side of your rib cage. Yeah, well, not rib cage, more on the back, like over here kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Kidney um, spot. Yeah, yeah, upper kidneys. Uh, gotcha. or, oh. You're not a pussy. You're not a pussy. That's a hard spot. Uh, oh, it was not fun at all. I think the worst spot for me it was the ditch of your elbow. Sucks. Um, but actually back here, like up under your bicep and like the flabby part of your tricep really sucks. And oh. the back of my kneecaps, the back of the knees was the worst. That does not sound fun at all. You know what really sucks no, my... is your finger, especially when you got really bony fingers. 
Actually, the wrist wasn't fun either. Oh, really? Because it's like right, it's right next to your tendons and stuff. And the back of the knees was the worst. So much so that my brother's like, you know, he's going shading in. He's like, and I hear him start giggling. And I'm like, what are you laughing about? And he's like, you'll see. (laughs) And he gets up into my knee. You you don't want to hear that from your tattoo artist. You'll see. Yeah. Yeah, you'll see. Yeah, when he touched the back of my knee, I was like, oh my God, that's bad. It's not fun. So so I, so I go through these phases where I have a tattoo idea and I and I, I get it in my head. I was like, all right, this is what I want. And then I wait at least one to two years. And if I still think it's a good idea, I'll get it. Uh, I have no tattoos other than my uh, other than my wedding ring. Uh, but I'm very irresponsible about it. But I never I never know what I want until I'm in the shop. The exact opposite. Yeah. So, so yeah. I've, I've, I've had this idea for these, this pair of tattoos that I've wanted to get for the last, well, it's been over two years now. So after two years, I'm like, all right, I need to get these tattoos. And so I reached out to, there's, I, I did some research and I found this one artist that is local that I, re, I was like, all right, I love his work. I've seen a lot of his work in person because people that I know have gotten it done. I'm going to, this guy, I'm going to get this guy and I'm going to get this tattoo done. And I never heard back. I reached out in, on, from multiple platforms and I never heard back from the guy. Hmm. It's a hard thing with tattoo artists. They get barraged with tire kickers. Oh yeah. And for sure. And for them, yeah, like yeah. The, they have to, like my brothers won't draw anything without a deposit because if they did, then they'd spend all their time drawing tattoos that they were never going to end up doing. Oh, for sure. I don't yeah, blame that yeah. at all. So I, I just need to actually go in. The problem is, is that all the all the tattoo shops in town are way out of my way. And I just need to make a special trip to just walk in and say, hey, let me make an appointment. Here's my deposit and, and get it done. So I just my advice to anybody also, if they're considering getting a tattoo and they don't have an established artist that they go to is to go in and meet the person first. Because the tattoo industry, especially, uh, my brothers and I call it the rock star syndrome. Because all of your clients worship you. That's like a profession where it's like it's a very small percentage of the population that is capable of doing it well. Like probably this, you know, I mean, it's like very small. And so their clients worship them. And I tease my brothers about it all the time. I'll give them shit right in front of their clients and their clients are like, no, he's not balding or whatever. And I'm like, you're just saying that because he's tattooing you and you want a cheaper tattoo next time. Like, so go in and meet them because the ones that succumb to the rock star syndrome usually get into drugs pretty bad. And it's a sad road. Um, We've seen it with a lot of people around here anyways over the years. So if somebody was going and they didn't have an artist, find somebody you like their portfolio and then go meet them in person and make sure that they don't look like a crackhead because it's <laughs> very possible. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen that kind of thing before. Um, I know exactly what you mean. That makes it really, <laughs> yeah. really difficult, Ryan, because I think most tattoo artists that I've seen kind of look like crackheads. No, you got to find the healthy ones. <laughs> you got to find the healthy ones. My, It's funny, too, because my two brothers, they're polar opposites. One of them's fat and lazy, and all he does is eat spaghetti and pizza and shit all day and play video games when he's not tattooing. And the other one, all he does is run. 
and like ride his Peloton bike. That's funny. Yes. It's funny you said uh, you're getting a lot of shit for the uh, Joe Rogan tattoo. Um, I was thinking when I was I was listening to the last episode about you guys were going on about, um, you know, the Internet and trolls and, uh, um, you know, we've got a um, so all of the YouTube channels, like when we do the, the, ch- the challenge, we have a Slack channel that we're always on and everyone's chatting back and forth. And uh, we're not doing so much anymore because the challenge isn't on right now. So people aren't on it. But we used to post um, like a troll of the week and <laughs> everyone would like take a snapshot of a funny comment. So every once in a while we look in there and there'd be like some dumbass comment about from a viewer. And some of them are just brutal, like crazy. I had a guy you've seen that Katana build I did. I had a guy say that uh the katana wasn't balanced like how do you know <laughs> what you, you you didn't pick it up how, how do you know it's not balanced from looking at the picture did you like <sighs> post a video of you like holding it at the balance point or anything no no so we had no idea you had no idea like and that's that's a mild one like i i've had some just brutal ones like yeah you you want to catch a lot of shit just post some kind of Japanese weapon and you're going to get like everyone to come out of the woodwork. Who's an expert because you know, they watch anime and uh, play a bunch <laughs> of video games and they want to tell you all about Japanese history. Like talk about crap. Have, My favorites, the ones who believe that folding the steel uh, over and over again makes it stronger. I got that last week. <laughs> I got that comment last week. But how many times is it folded? Like, and then I gotta be nice and contain myself and not call them an idiot and explain it was folded because the impurities of the steel and the steel was crap back then and that's why they folded it and blah blah blah. Um, and usually and you didn't dig it out of the ground. It, yeah, yeah, right. Usually when you explain it to them, then they're nice about it. But it's the guys that are self-proclaimed experts that uh, you can't convince. Yeah. uh, Once you start to understand the history of certain knives, like Jason Knight, when he was on, was talking about the gut hook and how there was never a blade in that notch. It was for lifting the pot off the fire. And then, you know, like one of these companies like Buck or Cricket or whatever ground a blade in there and they're like, oh, it's for gutting deer. I was literally like, I, I, I had drawn up like a sketch of a gut hook knife that I was going to do because I've been getting oh, a lot of requests for those. Cause it's, cause it's hunting season. As soon as we had, we, we did that episode. I'm like, okay, no, I'm good. I'm not, I'm never, I'm Jason Knight told me never to make a gut hook. So I'm going to never make a gut hook. Pretty simple. I'll make one. I'll make one for on... the same reason to make fighters oh. to fight. <laughs> right. Just like Jason said. But yeah. other than that, I mean, it's, I have a full time job. I don't have to fight poverty. I make knives because I want to. If here. I don't want to make a gut yeah. hook, I'm not going to make <laughs> yeah. a gut hook. There are two Go things I'll never put on a someone knife. else. A, a sawback and a gut hook. I'll never put on a knife, ever. <laughs> don't ask me for it. Don't. I won't do it. Uh, other than <laughs> I won't make a Serbian cleaver because I hate them, and I won't make a tracker because I brother. hate them too. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> 
Other than that, I, I'm pretty open. But if I see one I, more I Serbian cleaver, I'm gonna freak out. It's the most. It's the the least attractive looking knife on the planet to me. It is. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Like, it's because like, of that guy on YouTube who cooks with one in the woods. He like oh. cooks cooks on a rock. You know that YouTube page where he makes no. like gourmet steaks on a rock with a Serbian oh. cleaver. No. I don't know the name of it. I don't want to give him any attention. Oh. But. And oh, it, the other thing, and, and there are some uses for this, but the other thing I know, I I almost will never do. I won't say never. Is put a hole in a knife. Oh, I like a finger I, hole. Yeah, the finger hole thing. Uh, I'm not a fan. I've the I just only did two. The only use I I've seen of that is a really small Skinner where you need the, the leverage of it. Other than that, I mean, I get I get if a customer really demands it, then you're going to do it. But it wouldn't be yeah. ever my choice. I did a matching pair and it was the first two I had ever made. And they're kind of neat. They're really difficult to grind. Or at least the way I made them because I had a deep radius on it on the on the spine. So the tip kept falling in between the platinum and the work rest and. It was pissing me off, but I, I got him done. Wait, uh, uh, a hole in the knife? What do you mean? Yeah, like a, uh, there's a company that makes them. They're called white knucklers, but it's like a finger hole. You can spin it on your finger. Or, okay. Uh, like B-Cones made similar ones. Yeah, but I was I'm confused when you said it was hard to grind. You're not. What do you mean it was hard to grind? Like the It was hard to grind the bevels because oh. of... I had a steep radius okay. in my spine, so okay, it looked that, like a hook almost. I see. That was the shape of the knife, not because of the hole. Yeah, not because of okay. the hole. No. Okay, okay, I got it. I got it. Have you ever done a karambit? Mm. -mm. Oh, okay. They were sim they were similar in shape to a karambit. Yeah, that's a pain in the ass. Uh, a karambit. That's not my favorite knife to grind at all. I've forged like one or two, and they're still kicking around my shop somewhere without handles on them. Uh <laughs> I've had a lot of requests for them and I've done one and I loved it, but every time I get to one and you always want to make it full tang, right? And every time I look at one, I'm like, there's two thirds of that steel is underneath the handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you got the, and I was like, I'm not going to waste this nice piece of Damascus and hide two thirds of it under the handle. So they, I, I've made that determination like four times when I'm, oh, maybe I'll make it a crambit. And then I come to that determination that i'm not going to do it but yeah someday i've been asked <laughs> surprisingly a large amount of times to make butterfly knives yeah i get that one all the time oh, i've never yeah. gotten that thank god like i've made a surprising one. amount i've made one made for my son uh because he wanted one and this is before i even did youtube and uh they're hard <laughs> like it is like uh it, you know it, it's just a bunch of work on the mill um, honestly, and the placement and the, they're, they're hard to get to work. Yeah. And I it, turned all, all of them down because I'm not, I'm not set up to do them. I'm not gonna, it doesn't appeal to me to make one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, they were really popular like, when I was a teenager, but I don't even, yeah. it's not even something that I really even think about anymore. I'm not interested. I had I, one that was a hairbrush. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and comb your hair with it. Yeah, I I don't make a lot of small knives, and I'm always chastising Jared, um, Echo Knives, because he he's he's doing these little knives. I'm like, come on, man, make make a real knife. That's like a little baby baby knife. Um, <laughs> but I don't I don't like doing small. Like all most of my knives are buoys or 
like bigger knives because that's what I like to make. Um, you get to these little little tiny knives with tiny little bevels, and yeah, they get a little finicky. And uh, I'd rather there, there's a, it's it's harder to screw up a bigger knife, I think, because you got more. The bevels are bigger. Everything's bigger. I agree. I I have a lot more trouble grinding small knives than big knives. Oh yeah. And I, some people have said the opposite, but maybe it's just individual to individual because I've made a lot more chef knives than I have EDCs. But. I, I think one of the hardest knives I ever made as a grind wise, uh, maybe you've seen this video, maybe you haven't. It was the Loki dagger. Have you ever seen that? The mm, it's no. a dagger that's like, oh, you probably can't, whatever. I saw the, the blade on the dagger. It. Yeah, the blade on the dagger is probably 10 or 11 inches. And it the bevel is about a half an inch at the widest. So you've got a bevel that goes from a half an inch to zero over 10 inches. And there's four of them. It was a terrible grind. It took me forever to get that knife correct. And that was the one um, with the uh, like the, the spiral wire wrap on the fluted handle. Is that correct? No. Oh, no, no. no. This one had the... Um, it had that special glow in the dark copper. Oh, okay. Black, uh, glow in the glow green in the dark. Um, uh, it was a fun build, but man, the grind on that was terrible. That does sound awful. Yeah. All right, guys, we've but, been going fifty three minutes. I think it's time to explore the land of Florida. Oh, I'm excited. Let's do let's do the Phoenix Abrasive Zed and we'll roll I'll as soon as that one ends I'll hit the intro to Florida man. Love it. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by phoenixabrasives.com. Your one-stop abrasive shop. They stock all the abrasive belts you need in all sizes. They also offer knife making kits which have all the goods you need in one kit as well as hand sanding and buffing materials. Go to phoenixabrasives.com and use the code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your order. Thanks, Luke. Everybody, that's Luke at Crafty Man with a K, Forge, on Instagram. Go check him out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to play. Is it Florida Man or Frog? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to play the Hustle and Grind's favorite game. Is it Florida Man or Fraud? Tentatively named, Where in the World is Florida Man? Because today, <laughs> all of these stories are real. The question is whether or not they happen in Florida or not. This first one is brought to you by me because I just did a quick Google because this was an impromptu episode. This is a Christmas special, so we needed to do some Christmas Florida men. So here we go. Man goes to Christmas festival with giant sign screams, quote, Santa isn't real for hours. Parents attending a Christmas, cel- a Christmas celebration event on Tuesday in blank were disrupted after a man turned up and screamed. There's no Santa Claus for hours. The man who remains unidentified decided to crash a festival of lights celebration in downtown blank with a giant sign and yell about how parents were lying to their children. Video taken at the festival scene was recorded on a cell phone and first reported by this news station, blah, 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 blah. 
His screams could be heard as children waited in line to see Santa Claus on the night, earning him the title of real-life Grinch in local media. (laughs) One mother told the news station some children were left in tears by the man's diatribe, but luckily her child was, quote, too distracted to notice. Uh, Cindy Menkes, a blank resident, said, I feel sorry for that individual. He must have a very sad life. I think it's a shame our children are faced with so many difficult things in this world that the magic this time of year, it's taken away from them and they are innocent. Do you think I don't like that lady. real life Grinch who screams Santa's not real was a true Florida man or somewhere else? I don't know, but he sounds like a hero to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on, don't be a Grinch. Oh, I am. I, I hate the holidays. I I had this this I had this buddy at work years ago, and he was giving me this lecture. I I had just had my my oldest now. Uh, I had just had my first kid, and he was giving me this lecture about about how he never lies to his kids, and how like super important to build trust with your children as you're raising them and everything. I was like, oh, okay, so that's cool. Your parents don't believe in Santa Claus, then he's like, well, no, they they believe in Santa Claus. And I'm like, oh, so you do lie to your children. Why would you do that? You're a terrible father based on what you just told me. So as a father, I have never lied to my children. And my children do know that Santa Claus isn't real. And uh, that's why I'm what age? From what age? Every age. They've always known that Santa Claus isn't real. I'm with you, Noah. I'm with you. I think I think if you set them up for failure by telling them that there's a fat guy who flies around with a bunch of deer and sprinkles fucking toys down your chimney they're not going to know what the real world's like from an infant man you guys are rough jeez (laughs) (laughs) we're not rough we're realists Uh, i'm setting up my children for success in life what what did you what did you call it the other day neurodivergent yeah Uh, that's one way to put it (laughs) (laughs) Um, i was it was really touchy for a little while earlier on because their cousins, my my sister's kids, did believe in Santa Claus. So my kids couldn't say anything around them. So that was a little rough for a little while there. We had to like play that game for a bit. I had older cousins who like back in those days, like holidays were a big family event for us. So like we'd all go to my grandparents' house and all that. And I remember as pretty much as early as I can remember my cousins being like, why does this say it's from Santa? Santa ain't real. (laughs) Who bought this? Well, I will say, I think the whole Santa thing is for the parents. It's not for the kids because it's for the parents to see the, the wonder on the kid's face when they get something from Santa. But I don't know. Yes. Yes. Call, call me uh, call, call me cynical, but I see appreciation on my kid's face knowing that I bought that <laughs> for them. Uh, well, I got to say this is – I don't think this is Florida. This this definitely sounds to me more like California or uh, Washington or Oregon, like upper West Coast to me. But I agree. This sounds like a West Coast incident. <laughs> We got we digressed. We got off we got off the subject because we're shitting on Santa Claus. I think Santa Claus is a thief of the pride that a dad has that he was able to uh, earn all those toys that his kids are enjoying, and some of which they'll probably never play with. What I will say when my my kids were little, we did have you know 
like one or two gifts from Santa and everything else was from mom and dad. So it's yeah, not so like a nice balance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause we yeah. wanted some credit too, but okay. So you guys both I... think that this was a, a West coaster. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all of us on the West coast are just a bunch of Grinches. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> He's on the West coast too. That's what I'm saying. Like, come on, man. And... I'm an East coaster. All right. West coast. Final answer. Yep. All right. You're yep. both wrong. It was Florida. Come on. Oh, oh man. It just oh, didn't man. sound like something from Florida. I bet it was yeah, Brian were... House. I bet it was Brian. It probably was. That was, that was uh, Cape Coral, Florida. I have no idea where that is, but it's probably somewhere near Homestead because uh, that's where Brian Santa's is. Santa's not real. Buy a grinder. <laughs> If we uh, if we if we kept going with the the true Florida man or fraud, where I was making up stories, I was going to come up with some sort of uh, some sort of uh, Florida man story that was Brian House, where he was uh, he, he was like selling selling crack under the cover of having like a grinder company or something like that. But I, I, I decided <laughs> not to go that far. Uh, money laundering through his his grinder company. His... Brian, we still love you. Make we sure do. my grinder gets here soon. <laughs> Dude, I listened Did to you order a grinder from him. I, I listened to work for it today, and man, Brian is so swamped. I feel so bad for the guy. Like, I mean, I'm I'm happy for him. His business is successful, but that guy is he's always just been, you know, one of the hardest working dudes, but he is just slammed. And you could hear it in his voice that he is he is exhausted. I, I feel for he him. has his elderly in-laws helping him pack parts. Yes. Yeah. It's We're a good to problem Brent. to have. <laughs> I'm sure Brent's busy too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. You guys ready for the next one? Yep. Yep. All right. Here we go. Man busted for handing out pot, quote, because it was Christmas. Another uh, hero. <laughs> a man allegedly. <laughs> a man allegedly took a unique route to the get in the holiday spirit a 67 year old merrymaker was busted in blank for handing out marijuana saturday night quote because it was christmas authorities said <laughs> richard ellis spurrier was confronted by officers around 11 p.m after he was allegedly spotted handing out weed to passersby Spurrier, who had 45 grams of marijuana on him, chalked up his generosity to the holidays, telling cops that the handouts were, quote, because it was Christmas, according to the Blank County Sheriff's Office. He faces charges of possession of marijuana with intent to sell and possession of drug paraphernalia. He was released. He was giving it away. It wasn't intent to sell. (laughs) He was released from jail Sunday on his own recognizance, officials said. I think he got bamboozled there. Intent to sell. Well, we know it wasn't California because that's not illegal in California. I left in all of these details of the story to let those of you who are familiar with okay. weed, with weed laws. So let's see. Get some it's not hints. Colorado. It's not uh, Maine. Uh, Maine. Can't be here. Could be New York, uh, right? It's not legal it in could. New York. They, no, they, it's they, not legal they, in New York. No, I thought they just voted to make it legal in New York. Oh, I, did I, they? I, I, guess know, I, did I guess I just gave that away. Whatever. That's all right. I'm going to Google it's legal one, weed states right now. One, well, Washington and Oregon are definitely legal. I can tell you that much. Yeah, everything's legal in Oregon to right. a scary. To Aren't a they scary the first degree. ones? Aren't they the first ones that made it legal? Probably. Um, I just, uh, 
I want this right. to be Florida, but I don't think it is. Hang on. I feel I'm like gonna... that would be that would be too easy. Hang on. Okay, so those of you that are watching the YouTube version of this, I'm going to I'm going to show a picture of the individual to the camera and maybe it'll give you an idea of 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 where this person was from. Oh, it's Florida. <laughs> Look at that guy. I don't know how well you can see this through the, the, the terrible camera, but he looks like alcoholic John Malkovich. Uh, I was gonna say Nick Nolte, but <laughs> yeah, Nick Nolte, that's a good one. Um I'm still yeah, I don't know, I'm on the fence. I'm gonna go Florida. I gotta switch it up. I I on the last this episode's going to sound weird because it's coming out like two weeks after we recorded it. But on the last episode, I got all four Florida Mans wrong. I was 0 and 4. That's right. And it was did. a disgrace. Okay. I, I, I'm going to say New York. Well, non-Florida. I, I, already ruled, Florida. I, I already ruled New York out because I, I accidentally let slip that I thought uh, that it was legal there. So, Oh, all right. Um, where else? Florida. Okay, I, I don't think it's Florida. Okay, all I'm right. I'm not sure what state, but I don't think it's Florida. And Ryan, you're sticking. I can't even remember. What I'm you going said. with Florida. I'm go, I'm going Florida. Sorry. After I saw the guy, I was convinced. <laughs> Maybe well, it's Alabama or something. <laughs> Ryan, I have to say that that based on on photographic evidence, you are exceptional at profiling because that indeed was, <laughs> was the definition of Florida man. <laughs> I, I, I told you I, I, I didn't want it to be Florida, but. <laughs> I was kind of thinking it was Florida because he got arrested. Exactly. And like, yep. It's not or, legal in Florida? It, How no, can it not be legal in Florida? It's medical. But Florida's a very red state, and red states haven't caught on that there's nothing wrong with weed yet. So. Yep. All right. I think I have one more if you guys are interested, or we can call it good with two. No, let's do three. Come okay, on. here we go. Yeah. Last one. I got to get one right. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't write down who sent this one in. Dang it. Whoever you are, I'm so sorry that I forgot to shout you out. Shoot me a DM and uh, and I'll get you your uh, I'll get you your your shout out because this one is gold. Man jailed for shooting fireworks, quote, because this is America. A man <laughs> A man is facing charges for shooting off fireworks after police say they had warned him to stop. Oh, man, this is a name. Here we go. Quinlan R. O'Meara is charged with using fireworks, public intoxication, and disorderly conduct. Police received a noise complaint around 4 a.m. on Sunday when they arrived at at a Pleasant Street apart- apartment complex, officers say they heard fireworks and saw Omira holding fireworks, which are illegal under state law. Police confiscated the fireworks and told Omira he would be going to jail if he shot off more. Soon off- after the officers left, they were called back to the complex because of more complaints. Officers returned to find Omira walking out of his apartment, quote, holding a firework in one hand and a lighter in the other. <laughs> a police report to- says Omira told the officers he planned to light a Roman candle from his front door. He also told officers that when he got out of jail, he was going to light another firework, quote, with a blunt in his mouth because this is America. Police say that- <laughs> 
Police say when they asked Omira to take a preliminary breathalyzer test, he responded that he would take a preliminary, quote, go expletive yourself test. (laughs) I like that guy. Uh, Well, he's got some moxie. He does. I feel Um, like fireworks would be legal in Florida. That's what I was thinking. Most of the southern states, they're legal. Yeah. It's I'm going to go. Like Ohio yeah. and uh, Wisconsin, where it's not legal. They weren't legal here for the longest time. And that right after they legalized him, some drunk kid set one of them big mortars off on the top of his head and killed himself. <laughs> Made national that was, news. That, that was a Darwin Award. Um, yeah. <laughs> his his uh, mother actually went on local news and asked people to stop telling her that he deserved it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it my was, gosh. It was really bad. It was really bad. Um, um, I'm going to go not Florida. I'm definitely going not Florida. I'm trying to pick the state here. Um, okay, well, well, both of you tell me why you're not going Florida on this one. Because I feel like fireworks are legal in Florida. Yeah, I, I think so, too. So so marijuana marijuana is not fireworks are? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just want to make sure we're getting this clear. Because uh, I, I remember driving, maybe that was North Carolina. I remember driving to, uh, no, driving to Florida. And I thought as soon as we hit the Florida border, it was like fireworks you could buy everywhere. Maybe I could be thinking of Georgia. Because they're probably most definitely legal in Georgia. They're very legal in Georgia. When I was down there visiting my dad, they were like everywhere. Stands on the side of the road. M80s for sale. I'm like, what? I might be bringing some back from Blade Runner. Uh, um. I'm thinking there's going to be, I think it's a northern state that uh, this could be New York, could be Ohio, could be uh, Michigan. Connecticut. I'm pretty sure they're illegal in Connecticut. Maybe it was B. Cone. Could have been him. Why are they they illegal in in Connecticut? Blue. Oh, okay. That's just my speculation. I don't know why anything's illegal anywhere. I'm all about personal liberty. Well, I know they're illegal in this the county that I live in, and that's because the fire danger is extreme. But there's yeah. other states that have bans, and I don't know. I have no idea why they are banned. They, it's odd here. They're in California. They're they're only le- they're legal if it's like July Fourth, and only then you can only buy like the little the stupid little ones like the snakes. And but they, actually, that's not true. You can buy the ro- Roman candles, but. The day after, um, uh, whatever, July 4th weekend, they're all illegal. Okay. So I didn't know this was relevant to the story. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But in the article, it did say that I believe it was July 3rd that this um, that mm. this happened. So I don't know if that's relevant, but... Are you, you going to tell me it's California now? <laughs> I'm not telling you anything. I'm just telling you the date that it happened on because I skipped over that part because I was trying not to read every single word because it was kind of long. I just wanted to make sure that I got in the part that got to the part where he told uh, told the cops that instead of taking a breathalyzer test, he would take the uh, go go yourself test. <laughs> I want to know what test that is. <laughs> I don't know how you test for that, but. Either way, all right. So, what do you, you guys are? What's your what's your final answer here? I, think I we're have both to on the non-Florida, right? Yeah, okay. I have to stick with it. Final answer, both of you, not Florida. You are both correct. That was an Iowa man. 
Iowa. <laughs> I, that that's sense. northern state. That's close to, well, kind of middle state, but. All right. I got one. I'm happy. <laughs> I actually Googled it and I stuck with my answer. <laughs> but the, the Google search on Florida's laws on fireworks says you can only legally shoot fireworks on the 4th of July, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day in oh. Florida. This is good information for someone. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is, when can you buy them? Yeah. How would that work? Like, you can buy them year-round, you just can't shoot them off? Well, Maybe. it depends, because here in Washington, you can buy fireworks year-round as long as you are on a reservation. They sell them year-round on reservations, but they put up stands um, in counties other than the one that I live in where you can buy them, I think, like two weeks before the 4th of July, but you're only supposed to set them off on the 4th of July here in Washington State. So I don't know what the laws are in other states, but that's what it's like here. Uh, and I know you see here and, when, and again, you can on, on New Year's as well. Here, when they legalize them, uh, you can shoot them off whenever you want, as long as it's within the noise ordinance, which is like, I think it's 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. or something like that. Um, but they wouldn't, allow like m80s or like big firecrackers uh you can't get bottle rockets that are on a stick yeah same which, here which yeah we used to have bottle rocket fights when i was a teenager like them little <laughs> tiny ones that just go pop, oh, we, and we'd we shoot them Roman, at each other Roman Wars, yeah. yeah i grew up in canada they're illegal all the time everywhere because <laughs> you don't understand freedom <laughs> <laughs> nope I feel like Canadians understand freedom. It's their leadership that doesn't. Yeah, exactly. No, we're yeah. not. We're not doing politics. We're gonna. We're just gonna stop it right there. Uh, I'm just. I'm. <laughs> I'm just playing devil's ad- advocate for my Canadian brotherhood. You know, I'm pretty close to Canada. I that's know a lot of Canadian people. Yeah, that's true. We probably have a couple <clears throat> Canadian listeners. I was the first American guest on the Forge Side chat. What? I didn't really? know that. Yeah, because for the longest time, they were a Canadian-only show. They were very racist about it, and they would only allow Canadians on there. From the Great White North. And the, we're talking and about I told Canada, Lando, eh? Yeah, I said, Lando, I'm in Maine, bro. I'm practically Canadian. <laughs> I texted him or, or hit him up on Instagram, like, I don't know, four months ago and said, why don't you guys have me on? I'm Canadian. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's he said yes, but I haven't heard back from him. So, and then last week's episode, they had uh, one of the guys that's in the Nor- Northern California Knife Makers group. He's had nothing to do with Canada. <laughs> <laughs> You've been rejected. That's I brutal. guess so. I guess so. Now uh-huh. I'm going to hear from Lando. <laughs> We're going to do another crossover episode at some point. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, we've talked about it. Those guys are funny. So. Yeah, me go over there, Lando come over here. Cool. Yeah. Lando's cool. He's a good dude. Hey man, Jason Lamaru. He's a cool dude too. <laughs> Lamaru. Lamaru. Justin. I said I said Jason. I meant yeah, Justin. No, I, I knew you meant I, Justin. I, I was I was trying yeah. to I was trying to decide in my head whether I wanted to correct you or not. My bad, Justin. <laughs> Justin of the Rainy Day Forge and is it Fire and Ice TV now? He oh, has a new page. Oh, really? Yeah. I think he's doing like TV production or something. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Let me look it up. I'm going to look it up. I don't want to get it wrong. 
All right. Well, while you're doing that, um, so Dennis, I've heard you on a number of podcasts. I don't even, I don't even know. I've heard you talk a lot about your, your knife making journey and like how you started and your, your YouTube career. But the one thing that I don't know, and I don't know if this is just cause I have a terrible memory is how long have you been doing this? Um, what, what year is it? <laughs> uh, almost five years. Okay. All right. Cause I, yeah, I, cause I, uh, well, yeah, four and a half, four and a half. Cause I, about a year, a year after I started, I probably, um, joined the ABS and then right at my three year mark is when I, when I, uh, applied to do my journeyman, which I got this year. So yeah, it's been four and a half. Nice. Uh, it's fire slice TV. Fire slice. Huh? Yeah. Let's take a look. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's interesting when you, when you talk about some of the, the newer, I don't know, newer knife makers, and I'm not talking about, you know, any age range here. I'm just talking about people who have started, you know, who, who weren't making knives in the nineties, you know, um, your name comes up a lot just as someone who is relatively, you know, relatively, I mean, I'm talking it as somebody who's only been making knives the last two, two and a half years, um, who is at a level that is higher than, than what you might expect for, for someone who's making, been making knives for such a short period of time. And I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but what would you sort of attribute that to? I mean, just the fact that you've, you've come to a ridiculous level in, in, in what most people would consider to be a re- relatively short period of time. And being um, a part-timer at exactly, the same time. Exactly. That too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. And I'm, I, I say it on, and I feel like I've said it a million times. I always tell people, and there's different schools of thought. There's make the one knife, make it perfect. Keep making the same knife over and over. My philosophy is actually, do as many techniques as you can put a new technique in every single knife that you make and therefore broaden your horizons. And, you know, I, I literally do something new on every knife. Um, whether it's inlay, whether it's the profile, whether it's the style, whether it's the guard, like whatever, there's always something new. I'm always learning something. If you're not learning, you're stagnating in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I always want to push myself and do something new and YouTube pushes you because like you're not going to have a successful YouTube channel if you make the same knife over and over. People don't want to watch that. So I I don't do the same build because of YouTube. I want I need a new video. It's like a, you know, I would say you got to you got to feed the YouTube beast and and keep things new and fresh and do something new. So that's kind of my philosophy is always do something different, push outside your comfort zone. I think the community pushes that a lot on us, um, like subconsciously almost. Um, like the other day, like everybody knows I've gotten knives to a bunch of UFC fighters and two of them that I got knives to posted other knives that they had gotten since then. And like I, in my, in my own mind, I'm like, Oh, that nice fucking cleaner than mine. Fuck. Oh, the packaging is way nicer than mine. I sent mine in bubble wrap and they got like branded boxes and shit with wax stamps. I'm like, Oh man, I got to step my game up, you know? And I think, uh, 
that's a natural progression with the community. But I like what you're saying also about like trying something new in the shop all the time, because it's almost like having tools in a tool shed, you know, like the diamond grinds, for instance, that I do now that I've gotten them down, I could stop doing them for six months and I'm, but I'm always going to have that tool in the tool shed. I've, I'm always going to know how to do that now. And then I can switch to something else, you know, um, or focus on something else or learn something else. And then once that's learned, put it in the tool shed and move on to the next one. That's exactly my, my thinking. Have a, have a big tool shed of, uh, of techniques that you can put on a knife. And, you know, I love designing knives. I like, I spend a lot of time when, you know, I, I don't like, and a lot of people do, and I don't knock them for it, but I'm not one that's going to, oh, I'm just going to forge something and it'll be what it, what it, you know, I, I don't do that. I'm more like the, you know, I aspire to be Kyle Royer. Like everything is to a plan and to a design. And I spend a lot of time designing the profile, designing the guard, the flow of the knife, what this piece is going to look like, what that piece is going to look like. Um, before, you know, I'm not good at going to the anvil and forging something and having it come out look good. I'm I'm more of a planner and less of a off the cuff knife maker. I can't do it. Are you Are you familiar with the uh, seven P's of success? The seven P's. No, it's proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Right. Okay. I've heard that. I didn't know it was called the seven P's, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But some some guys are great at like I'm going to go to an anvil with a piece of steel. And they come out with something just magnificent at the end. I can't do that. Because if I do that, like the handle is seven inches long. The blade is like all wacky. And I can't, I have to, I need a template that I can sit there and measure to. And like, oh, no, that's not right. Now I got to hit it here to make this. Like, I, I need to compare it to something. Yeah, see, I'm almost the exact opposite. I never draw a knife beforehand. And like when people ask me to draw, draw the knife and, you know, show it to them, I'm like, uh, I just make it. I just, it's just, it's up here and I yeah. just make it. And some people are good at it that way, but not me. I, I need to work to a design. Yeah. I think that's a defense mechanism of myself to prevent disappointment. Like that's, that's why I never mark my bevel lines, like where I want my bevels to end because Every time I do, I go over the line and I get pissed off. But if I don't mark them, I just I just get them to a point that I like and match it on the other side, and then we're good. That that's like not keeping score at golf. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. I, I know this syndrome. That's why I haven't kept score at golf in the last ten years. Because if yeah. I as soon as I do, play like shit. It's just interesting well, I, the, 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 the way that different mindsets go into it because there is there's there's lots of different schools of thought about how you go to it. And there's you know, there's people who who come to it with a very, you know, a, a business oriented mindset and they create a business based off of what they're doing. There's people who like to take a very I don't know what the word is, but a very um, tactile approach to it where everything is, is, is feeling, you know, you're not necessarily, um, you're, you're visualizing the end result, but not on paper and you're, you're very in tune with what you're doing. And it's, it's 
almost a, a spiritual thing, you know, and I, I hesitate to use that word, but it's the only one that comes to mind where you, you feel the kind of the, the, the energy of, of what you're putting into it and whatever the result is kind of like you were saying, where they, they just go to the anvil and whatever comes out is what comes out and that's what they enjoy and that's what they do. And their customers resonate with that. And then there's the, the more analytical uh, perspective where you, you plan out the details of what you do and, and it's really just intriguing to, to look at different makers and, and see that different perspective and see the way that it affects the, the outcome. And it's, it's very easy, in my opinion, to appreciate all of those dis- different spheres of thought and how they go into it and to just love the variety that it brings to the community and the, the end product, the different knives that come out of it. Because you can see when someone's involved in their work as, as much as you know the makers that I look up to, you can see the way that they put that into it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was at Maker Camp, um, we basically, I felt like I got a master class from Moreco. Um, so Moreco Momasi, basically, he was there for the two full days in the, in the Broadbeck tent. And he brought a piece of steel, like looking at it, I'm like, man, that's really small. And it's a piece of Damascus. I don't remember how big it is, but the guys in, you know, it's both, whatever, that big. <laughs> Like half an inch by like three inches by, you know, an inch and a quarter, really relatively small piece of steel. And he said, this is his normal billet that he, he starts his chef knives with. His, and his micro told, billets. Yeah. And he's like, this is, and he explained, this is how I'm going to, and this is for an integral. He's, this oh is how gosh. I'm going to do it. I'm going to hit it here. I'm going to do that. And he basically went through the whole, the whole thing, forged it, showed us how he was going to bring the, bring the, the, the heel down and, you know, all hand, well, he didn't all hand forge. He was using a press too, but mostly hand forged. Then he went through um, the grind, the handle through the whole weekend. And it was like, when there was like, at most, there was probably 10 people watching him. So like, you're like five feet behind Morocco the whole time he's making a chef knife from beginning to end. It was very cool. But they, to, to your point, you know, like watching him work steel is like, he knows exactly like, oh, this hammer blow is going to move the steel this much, this direction. Like he knows what he's doing. Um, and I'm sure he never uses a pattern for anything anymore, but he's also I made idolize him. Whatever. How many thousands of knives has he made? Yeah. I idolize Mareko. He's one of, one of the top guys in my book. Um, one of the things I love about him is that he's, I've never talked to him, but he seems like a very down to earth, humble dude. He really is um, Re- really laid back. <laughs> yeah. It seems like I've noticed a lot of the top tier guys that are up on his level. They carry like a certain level of snobbery towards not as experienced makers or not as good makers or not as famous makers. And I never got that vibe from him. One, one bit, you know, watching his videos, seeing him interact with other makers. That's never once crossed my mind where I was like, oh, he's kind of being a douche right now. I've never felt like that. Yeah. Other guys, I get the douchey vibe with a few guys. I'm not going to drop names, but. Yeah, no. I'm, yeah. I'm sure I know some of those or, or, or know of some of those names. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Mareko's not one of those guys. He's very approachable. 
um, easy to talk to. You ask him questions and yeah, he was, you know, he was answering as many questions as he, you know, pausing someone to ask a question while he's grinding, he would drop his, you know, his, uh, his mask down. He'd answer the question, put his mask back on. Like it was, it was, it was cool. Yeah, that's one of the beautiful things I, that I love about this community and probably one of the reasons I've stuck with it as long as I have, as opposed to some of my other ventures I've had in my life, which is just the community aspect of it where no one, even even people who are you know far better than, than you're, you are where, where you're at in your journey, they all have a level of respect for everyone who's just getting after it and just going for it. And yeah, I mean, like you were saying, Ryan, there are some other people who, you know, go out of their way to, to let you know that they're, you know, they're the best at this or they're the best at that and, and, and whatnot. But I just think that that's sort of, I don't know. I feel like the, the, the community as a whole is, is just such a wholesome place and, and I love it. It, it really is. This is the only profession which it's hard to call it a profession, but the only like thing you can get into where the top level guys are accessible, you know, you're so not going to start, you're not going to start playing drums and be able to shoot Tommy Lee, a fucking Instagram message and ask him about, you know, drum technique, you know, yeah. or, or even the, this isn't like, you know, some of the trades where, you know, if you didn't, if you haven't put in your time, you're not going to get, you know, they're not going to give you the light of day, you know, they're not going to tell you anything. And so there's so many secrets. They don't want to give away their secrets here. Everyone's, you know, free with how they do things, how they, how they do this pattern, the technique for whatever doing, putting a guard on, you know, putting the guard on a knife the right way, like all, all that kind of stuff. Everyone's pretty, yeah, it is the best community for that kind of thing, for sure. Sure. I and being exposed to tattoo artists, they don't have that in the tattoo community. You know, it, for them, it's more looked at, at least in my experience, that everybody around them is competition. You know what I mean? Whoever the more tattoo artists that tattoo artists train, the less work there is for them. Is and it's an unfortunate point of view, but for tattoos, especially, I think it's more accurate than it would be for us in the knife world. Um, Cause there's like we've said before, it's like a spectrum of the market is a spectrum and there's, you know, guys who are only looking for those perfect multi-thousand dollar chef knives. And then there's guys that are looking for a three, $400 knife that they can use at work every day. You know what I mean? That it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect. It just has to be functional and beautiful. Um, there's room for everybody. Right. Right. And we Definitely. all have our own things like Noah's blades are totally different than my blades. My blades are totally different than your blades. You know, pickle, he's got his own style. Um, and, and the beauty of it is we all just do whatever we want. And somehow in the end, it all comes out different. And well, cool. and, 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 you know, like uh, in knife collectors or knife buyers are just the same as, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just for instance, like podcast listeners, like I listen to a bunch of different podcasts and I have some customers that have knives from other makers. And I love that. I think it's great that, that they have other makers that they're supporting 
and and buying knives from and their knives are totally different than the knives that i bought from it's like so you're not competing i don't feel like you know you don't have to be the the best knife maker out there you don't have to be the best podcaster out there like you know people are going to um consume from different sources and i feel like that's okay right and and let's face it knives are consumables like most knives, like you're going to go through, you know, yes, we like to think that knives going to last forever, but in reality, people lose it, people, whatever, you know, they are consumables and it's something you can own a lot of, especially chef knives. Like I have, you know, how many chef knives do I have in my drawer? Probably five or six at least. Um, you know, you need a lot of those plus who doesn't want a bunch of utility knives. And I'm not a knife collector. Like I'm one of the few knife makers that never collected knives. And the only knives of my own that I have are like the rejects. Like I, I don't, Same. I don't like keeping my own knives. Yep. Same. That's all. I, that's all I keep is ones I can't sell. Yeah. And my but wife they're... keeps bugging me, but can you please? Oh, make you too, me, huh? uh, Yeah. All the yeah. time. <laughs> me three. <laughs> like you want me to go in the shop and spend time making a knife that I'm not even going to make a video of and I, I'm going to keep. That doesn't make any sense. Sounds ridiculous. I'm going to put as little effort into it as possible, just so you know. (laughs) I'm actually in the process of finally making my wife a knife. So I, we, we always talk about the, uh, the handle scale buying problem that we all have. And uh, so, so I I bought a couple of scales that she specifically liked with the idea that I was going to put them on a knife for her. And I'm finally getting around to making her a knife with one of those sets of handle scales that she picked out. Such and, a good uh, husband. Uh, well, it's it's not done yet. So, <laughs> is it a Christmas present? Uh, it's not supposed to be, but at this point, it might have to be. You yeah. you remember that uh, diamond grind chef knife that I raffled off a long time ago, like probably six months ago, and uh, I snapped the tang off on the oh. original blade, like the yeah. day before the fucking raffle is going to come out. Well, I had my buddy Tig weld that tang back on, uh-huh. and I finished I finished the knife for my wife because it's the closest I can't sell it. Cause it's a welded tang, like right at the top of the handle. And, but it's like function. It's perfectly fine. And, but it's been sitting on my magnet behind me for six months, five months now waiting to be sharpened. So here's, here's a question uh, that I, I like to ask a lot of knife makers. How many knives, like, and Ryan, I know you're doing a batch, but if you're doing projects, how many knives do you typically have on the go at a time if you're not doing a batch? Five or six usually, because that's what I can do. It's most efficient for me to run my oven one time and I can fit six knives in it at a time. Okay. But that's still, I still consider that a batch. It's not like you worked on this project and then you put it down and then you're going to work on something like the ADD kind of, you know. You, the start and stop. Oh, I want to forge a knife. Wait, I think Noah was talking about this last episode. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say probably ten minimum. Yeah, I was at Rick Hall's shop for the video that came out today. We, uh, that guy's got, I think he has thirty knives in, <laughs> and, and I and I do. I literally literally do have like ADD, and I, I have to fight it all the time. And I like. I don't, I don't do this. Like I need to have one knife and finish that knife usually because of videos. So it's interesting to me to hear when, oh yeah, I've got 10 knives on the go, but they're all in different. Like, it's not like they're batching them. It's because they're starting and stopping. 
I actually, right now I've got th- three on the go and it's driving me crazy. Oh, just three. Wow. You're doing great, man. So I actually, so I moved shops recently, so I'll make the story quick. My wife refinishes furniture and, um, go check her out on Instagram or Facebook. Um, East Lake recrafted. She is amazing. Okay. Like I love my wife and we always talk about how we couldn't do our, our craft without our wives. And of course, that's true with me because I, I honestly couldn't live without my wife. She's everything to me. Um, but, but she <laughs> shut up, Ryan. No, my, <laughs> my wife is it, she honestly, she's amazing. Um, but uh, so aside from that, she's also an amazing, amazing creative person and she refinishes furniture and she does an incredible job. She takes pieces of furniture that I've literally told her to throw out on the curb, get rid of it. And she turns it into this amazing piece of art. It's incredible. So she was working in what is, I don't know, like a 12 by 16 shop near our house. While I had the large 30 by 30 shop that's down the hill a little ways. And she had a 12 foot table that she was refinishing in this shop. And I was like, babe, you're making, you're working on a 12 foot table and I make things that are like 14, 15 inches long maximum. In a 16 foot shop. (laughs) And I'm like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I feel like we should swap shops. Like, I don't want to, but I feel like this is the right thing to do. So this, this last year we swapped shops. And so she's got the big 30 by 30 shop and I've got this smaller area. And what it actually, what actually does is it helps me with my ADHD because I can't move things. Like everything's got its place. I have to stay organized. I can't jump from thing to thing. I don't, I'm not running from place to place. Like everything is where it is and I can go from station to station. And and it's really been a huge improvement for me. Um, Where was I going with this? What was I talking about? I don't know. I forget what we were talking about. We were talking about knives on the go. Right. Thank you. Okay. So I have a number of different knives (laughs) in different stages. And I was digging through my cabinets the other day looking for something in my new shop. And I found like four, four to six other blades that I had started and never finished that were just in there from, from my move because everything's, you know, been thrown in a different location. And I had completely forgotten that I even started them and never finished them. And I mean, they're not for orders or anything like that. So thank God. But uh, um, so I have, you know, I have my magnets where I have, you know, everything that I want to work on up on the wall where I can see it because if I don't see it, then it doesn't exist. Um, and I found like four or five other knives that I forgot that I even started. And I was like, oh, okay, let's put those back in the cupboard and forget them about them again. So yeah, uh, I'm in the, definitely that same boat where, uh, as soon as I lose interest in something, it I was like, ah, I can't do this. I'll move on to something else. Yeah. And this doing this Damascus series is the first time that I'm I'm doing a piece of Damascus that I'm not immediately going to use. So I'm now accumulating Damascus in the drawer that I need to make knives out of that. So now I'm in this this backlog of like I got a bunch of stuff to use. And that's kind of driving me nuts oddly that. I like I like the projects to be beginning to end before I go to the next one, but that's honestly but, my, my favorite. My favorite is because recently I, I I only had one order a little while ago, and so I only had that one thing to work on. Oh, it, I mean that was so nice. 
Like just to be able yeah. to focus on one thing and know that when I went down to the shop, I knew exactly what I needed to be doing. It was the next step in this one knife that I was doing and I did it start to finish. I wasn't doing five knives. I wasn't doing six knives. Like it was just this one thing. And honestly, that was, that was amazing just to be able to just kind of progress through that one thing. It was great. Yeah. I mean, but when, before blade, I'll probably do a batch. Cause I always do like hunting knives for blade. Cause that's, you don't take the fan. I mean, you take the fancy knives to blade, but you're not going to sell those. You're going to sell the two, $300 hunting knives or whatever, three, $400 hunting knives. That's what you're going to sell. Um, so, but you, you were talking about your wife. My wife surprised me yesterday that, uh, we, so I'm, I, I should back up. So I'm, I'm, I did this video on, on you guys, obviously you guys have surface grinding attachments for your two by 72. I'm assuming. Uh, no, I just no. got mine. You just got you. Okay. Like, no, I need, not even I, a week ago. I need to buy one. I, I make Damascus, uh, without, oh. without a surface grinding attachment and it sucks. Okay, so you need to go watch the video I did uh, last week, a couple two weeks ago. So I did a video on on building one for four hundred dollars. Okay. Oh, all in wow. shipping, like you can whatever. And for people that don't have a mill, um, I may I'll make the magnetic chucks, and I'm selling them on my website anyway. So another shameless plug there. If you want a magnetic chuck for a surface grinder, and you don't have a mill, you can go buy one. Um, Cause that's the only part you need. Everything else is drilling and stuff you can do on a drill press. It's easy. Can I stop you right there, Dennis? Yeah. I want a magnetic chuck for my drill press with a hole in it. Hole. So I can oh. just go, I that's can just easy. go thunk and lock it down to my drill press plate. But you want a permanent, like, cause I'm only, I'm making the permanent ones. Like they don't have a lever or anything like that. Cause they're, you just slap the thing on it and you're good to go, which is probably what yeah, you have. Fine. Yeah. I can make yeah. you one. That's easy. With a hole, like, like do like a five eighths hole in it, so wherever sure. you want the bit, the bit to pass through, it won't hit the chuck, and you could just sure, easy. That'd be badass. We yeah. could sell them. Uh, but I, yeah, they're easy, easy to to make. You just have to figure out what magnets. But anyway, my wife, who who is never never goes in the shop, says to me, "Yeah, I want to learn how to make those magnetic chucks." I'm like, really. In fact, she didn't use the word magnetic chuck. She goes, those things you're making. Um, <laughs> of course. Because, I mean, I'm like, you realize you're going to have to learn how to use the mill and, and all this. She goes, yeah, yeah. I want you to show me on Saturday. I'm like, get out of town. No way. And she's like, yeah, totally serious. So she's going to learn how to make, uh, how to mill the aluminum for a magnetic chuck. So I think that'll be entertaining. That's awesome. My yeah. wife's like a delicate flower. Like Mine she too. Doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't even want to come out here. Like, yeah, she, um, she she kept making me a honey do list, and I'm so I'm so busy right now, and I'm like, honey, you gotta like chill on the honey do list at least till like New Year's. Like, get let me get through this huge batch, and we'll you know I'll I'll do extra honey do's after. Yeah, you gotta and get rid of that like, pesky day job. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she, it's it's the the fear of drowning that get, worries I, me. I get you. I'm I'm there too. If this production order turns into a reoccurring thing, I'd be stupid not to quit my day job. You know. Yeah. But anyway, she she kept adding things to the list. And I'm like, "Honey, you got to chill." And she just kept adding things to the list. I'm like, "Come with me." So I bring her out to the shop and it was when I had all 64 totes on the bench nice. with with <laughs> all the knives set up with all the pieces of handle material and I go, "This is what I'm doing. And it, like, it, I could see it on her face. It clicked because she sees my posts. She hears me complain, whatever. 
about being tired, but without coming out and actually seeing what 64 knives looks like on a bench all laid out to be made. Um, and then she's like, okay, can you at least just do the litter box? I'm like, yeah, that's no, that's no problem. <laughs> you caved. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not hanging shutters. I'm not putting up Christmas lights. I'm like, yeah. I'm we, like, come on. We, we can't live without the uh, hashtag knife wife, as my yeah. my wife likes to call it. She's the, my, the knife my, wife. My wife actually made herself <laughs> a sweatshirt that has a big ERF on the back and on the front. It says knife wife. She's pretty proud nice. of that one. I, if she comes to Blade, I'm going to I'm going to get a T-shirt made that says hashtag knife wife on the on the back. It'll have like the Tyrell Knifeworks logo and then hashtag knife wife on the back. We should sell it. We, yeah. We, no, we're, we're just going to have to. My my wife can make them. She's she's amazing, and we'll just have to have all of our wives wearing the knife wife T shirt. That would be awesome. Let's do that. It. Would be cool. Let's do that. I got I got to get with you anyways because I need some more hoodies made up. Get with me. Yeah, with your like, so you can tell your wife make Ryan some hoodies. Oh, I'll try. <laughs> She, that she, wasn't she, the reaction you were looking for. She, 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 she might she might tell me to to take a go go expletive yourself test like that guy did. <laughs> I did buy a cry cut machine, so I guess I could just figure it out and do it myself. Oh, you got one of those? That's awesome. Yeah, my wife I, has one of those. I, I, I did. I, it's it's great, man. I bought one. I feel like I should have got a plotter instead because I got it for stencils and plotters. You can make tinier stencils with, but we'll see. I haven't figured out how to use it yet. Um, but I told the wife and kid, I said, you guys are my first employees figure out how to use this thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you, if you, need, you need any help, let me know. I, I've, I've used it and it's, it's pretty simple. Okay. I, I have a laser and I've got a 3d printer, but I never got the cry cut, but I don't know that I would use it that much. You know, I'm just, I, honestly, I got for... it because go ahead, go ahead. Uh, people are asking for like custom stencils. Yeah, like four, 14 of this batch of 50, I have to put a name on mm. or like a little say like happy birthday so and so or uh, things like that. So I figured that yeah. would be a good investment. I did it with the spear. I did like a Celtic knot symbol and I laser cut it from a vinyl, but it doesn't it's not as sharp as uh, as a cry cut. You think it's oh, sharper, really? but it wasn't because it's well, burning the edges. Well, with the laser, what you want to do is you want to get a resist on there. Like a lot of people use nail polish, but I found that um, uh, Plastidip is the way to go. So you just spray whatever it is with Plastidip, spray the blade with Plastidip, and then use that uh, use the little laser to etch in the the oh, yeah. the writing. I w- I wasn't doing that. I was I cut uh, a stencil, put the stencil on, and then I painted nail polish into the stencil, and then removed the stencil, and then. Because oh, okay. I had to etch the Damascus idea. on the blade too. Gotcha. Yeah, that's how okay, Pickle that does sense. his with nail polish and a laser. Yeah, it's it's finicky. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, Plus it's 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 curved, so it's not something it would have been easy to do, like trying to laser it, because uh-huh. it was the socket for a spear. Congratulations, Dennis! You are officially our longest ever episode. <laughs> I just like to to talk and uh, shoot the shit on here. So uh, it's, it's a Christmas miracle. Jeremy was the Jeremy from 490 Forging was the last record holder at um, hour and forty five or forty six minutes. Now we're at almost an hour right. and forty eight. That that must be a sign. No, no, no. I'm not insinuating anything. 
I talk a lot. Is that what you're saying? No, I just started my <laughs> night shift, so I got all the time in the world. Uh, oh, yeah, it's late for you. What time is it in here? Yeah, it's, uh, oh, it's 10, 10 here. 10 15. All right. That's yeah, not well. Bad. I've been going to bed around like 4 35 o'clock in the morning. Well, I got to get up and go to the gym in the morning. So before we before we finish up here, Dennis, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we uh, before we wrap it up? I think we covered it all. I really appreciate you guys uh, creating this episode for me um, and uh, and having me on. It was uh, it's super fun. I love coming on these and uh, and talking to you guys. So anytime we're honored, you thought of us. You could have easily just messaged Brian and gotten a much larger audience. You know, I was just on that episode uh, on that <laughs> podcast a month or so ago. You know, well, I guess it was October. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, uh, I, I like to go uh, on each one every once in a while and not uh, and not just do one. I've been trying to get on some other ones. I They're fun. I like them. Yeah. I'm doing that other one with my brother and that's fun. That's just, that's goofy, stupid shit. We have like 10 listeners, but <laughs> and yeah. I'm pretty sure all of them are like five of them are knife guys and then me and him and like our other two friends. Yeah, I got hit up Dustin, and uh, I was another guy I got to meet at Maker Camp. Dustin from uh, Art of Craftsmanship, him and uh, yeah. and Devin, those are cool. Yep. Those are fun guys to hang out with. I'd like to get on their show. I'd love to get on um, Fire and Steel, mm. the British guys. Yeah, those guys are funny. Right. Well, well, one of them's actually Australian. If you actually, he's he's from Oz. He's Whatever. not from. He's not from England. That was a terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> fair but mean <laughs> whatever uh, i think i just, I just think your balls it's all right i think those guys are funny so i i'd like to get, just get on there and goof around for an hour or whatever but they're, they're I don't always think they know i exist they're always so. talking about how the americans can't understand them and it's like well no it's not it's not that we can't understand you it's that we can't understand honor because He's from like Northern England or I don't even, I can't even remember where he's from, but he's got that thick, like Scouser fucking Manchester. Yeah. (laughs) That Cockney accent. Yeah. 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 Toby's Uh, from Australia. I can understand him just fine. It's honor when he says something and it's the slang. Like I, 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 I understand like certain British slang, but, but some of it, he throws out a word. I'm like, is he, is he, saying something bad about that person or was that his friend? I, I don't understand that. I probably heard that podcast maybe once. I mean, you guys were, um, work for it once in a while, forge side chat. Uh, and it's just, like I said, I don't have time to listen to that many podcasts. So like NAOC, like th- those are the only ones once in a while I'll hit knife talk and, uh, and fader. I'm wearing faders hat actually. And, uh, I'll, uh, listen to Jeff's podcast, but I just, if it's not YouTube, I don't have all that time, but I, I usually try to catch you guys and uh, work for it every week. What's his podcast called? Who? Fader? Jeff Faders? Uh, yeah. Full Blast. Oh, I haven't heard of that. I should check it out. Oh, he's a great interviewer. Really is. Uh, he's definitely, yeah. he's like, because uh, he's from New York, so he's definitely got that Howard Stern influence, like in his interview style. And even he'll say that. Yeah. Well, we appreciate yeah. you hanging out with us, Fleabag, anyways. <laughs> he went off on me on a live a couple weeks ago and was like, once you figure out active listening, I'll come and be on your show. So the very next show was Koi Baker's, so that's why I named it Active Listening with Koi Baker. Uh, okay, okay. 
nobody got it but me and B Cone and Pickle were watching that live too. But yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Jeff Jeff was at Maker Camp too, so he's he, he was, you should he was, put in a good word for me so he takes me seriously. I'm, I tends- want to be on this show. He doesn't. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, he's mentioned <laughs> me on the show a couple of times, so maybe, uh, maybe he's taken me seriously once or twice. I don't know. We might take yeah. one or two shots at him on occasion on this show, but I can't confirm or deny that. I think they might have taken a couple of shots at you guys from uh, Knife Talk, so it's all right. Oh, they did. Well, I don't. I don't oh. think they named you by name, but. Uh, uh, when they start talking about those other knife podcasts, I always think uh, he's talking about you guys and uh, work for it and a couple of the others. Any, Jeez, anytime the I word didn't... flea bag comes up, I, I know, I know, I, I know who's who's being named here. It's fine. I don't know if he's specifically talking about us when he says flea bag, but sure, Jason Hartwell sure thought he was. He was very. He's yes. like, man, I take that so personally. <laughs> I actually in a in a DM after that live, I messaged Fader and I was like, I meant no disrespect. I was just fucking around. I hope you didn't take it that way. And by the way, I spend a lot of money to make sure my house is a flea free home. <laughs> <laughs> Did he respond? Yeah. He said, I, I, I took no disrespect. Have a good day. I was like, yeah, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> I do. I spend a lot of money on my animals. That's fucking offensive. Right. They're, they're members of the family. You got to. <laughs> I love my dogs more than almost anybody walking on this earth. Uh, Almost. My wife Almost. loves the dog more than she likes me. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, she said me said it outright many times. Yep. My wife has uh, told me that I love stand. the dogs more than her, and I said, "Well, the dogs are always happy to see me when I get home. Sometimes you're not." <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man! All right, Bye. boys, we're gonna call this. Yeah, this was fun. It was fun. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Oh, play us out here. Just shy of two hours. Look at that. Dennis Tyrell. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dennis. <laughs> that was a very good one. That it was. <laughs>